When we're going through Galatians, I was uh, call my attention to righteousness, and it almost escaped me. And then when we're going through the 119th Psalm, it was recurring. And I started noticing this theme and this doctrine of righteousness. So when I was uh, tasked with giving this address, that's what I chose. We're going to look, I'm going to try to define, and all this is probably very familiar. Some of it's not. Define righteousness. Try to find the source of righteousness. Talk about what happened, why righteousness Righteousness is important. Uh, and where, how can we regain righteousness? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you know our need, you know my need. Lord, you've supplied all of our, our need in Christ. I pray that tonight you would use me, give me recall, help my voice and my mind. God, I pray that you get glory because it's your word, it's your, it's your doctrine, not mine. God, please keep your hand on Paul where he is. Use him mightily. I pray that you'll get glory there. Draw people close to you, people who are lost and people who are uh, saved too. God, draw them all close to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. To begin, just to get us started... I was going to read Psalm 89.14. This small, short description gives an emphasis of righteousness. It says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. And this describes God Himself. Tonight, I probably won't be addressing, if you've studied much of this on your own or you know much about the themes of righteousness, justification, redemption, sanctification, all these things, uh, you know you can't pull one out without weakening the whole, the whole structure. It's, uh, they all fit together. You have one or you have none. And that's the way God designed it, and it's absolutely amazing. It's perfect. But I won't be, uh, maybe not tonight, but I'll, in the future possibly, I'm not prepared to address Christ's active and passive obedience, if that's familiar to you. Uh, the crucial point is that God is all wise and sovereign. His word is our authority. And I hope that you'll see that in this light. So the first point, I have three points with several points uh, under that, ask what is righteousness? Uh, it comes from a word that means right, wise. It means properly positioned, correctly stationed for the best benefit or the intended purpose. It means in good standing. That You can apply that to what we're uh, looking at tonight. 
it infers no conflict. We might say that we, we write a fallen chair. Or you might say you, you write a capsized boat. Do you get the idea? Are you following? There's a problem. It needs addressed. Uh, the opposite, this is something you might hear around here, is you have a problem. If he keeps running his mouth at me, we're going to get crosswise. We're going to get crosswise. He's going to get crossways with me. See, see the conflict? In one, in one instance, there's good. There's back and forth, there's reciprocal. You have a good relationship. In another, you've got problems. So righteousness is a condition of being right or having qualities or actions that are right. Now we can include morality, rectitude. We know it's all included, just generally good. Spiritually speaking, it means obedience to God. Listen carefully. This is a long one. Obedience to God in all aspects as revealed in Scripture. Agreeing with God. Submission to God, cooperation with God. It means positive, perfect, complete compliance in your attitudes, in your motives, in your thoughts, and your words, and your deeds. All of it on purpose. A positive action. All of it. All the time. Forever. Are you hearing me? That is righteousness. So, the second point is, what's the problem with our righteousness? We lost our righteousness. We have no righteousness. That's the problem. It, you can identify if you think a thing is conspicuous by its absence. Uh, we get the saying, you don't miss the water till the well runs dry. You won't miss food or air, or water, until you don't have any. This is, the, this is the big problem with righteousness. We lost our righteousness when Adam sinned. Romans chapter 5, verse 2, in part, says, Sin came into the world by one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Adam is our federal head. We've learned all this. He's our representative. Verse 15, same chapter, says, In part, many died through one man's trespass. And verse 17, in part, Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Verse 18, One trespass led to condemnation. So now we've escalated. We've not only lost our righteousness, we're condemned. One trespass led to condemnation for all men. And there begins the problem. And people would say, the world would say, Adam committed one sin and everybody's condemned. Adam committed one sin, his first sin, we don't know if it was his first day or his first week or his first year. It wasn't very long. One sin. Yeah, that's, that's the way it works. Uh, 
even Adam's. Pale, little, weak, little, human righteousness that he had just been created, it couldn't even last a couple days. But so, yeah, one sin equals one punishment. And what do we call that? We call that justice. That's perfect justice. That's God's justice. In our Bibles, we'll see uh, justification and righteousness interchanged. Like I said before, they're, they're so close, you can't talk about one without talking about the other. Uh, in some Bible versions, uh, a person will it'll be described as they were declared just. Or in another version, it'll say they were declared righteous. So similar, so similar. You can't separate it. Justified very often is a better, more accurate word. So a person who is convicted and condemned, which is all of us, Adam, everybody on down the line, from Adam to us, a person who is convicted and condemned needs to be justified by an authority. Who's the authority? The judge. Who's our judge? God. He's the one that passed down the judgment. He made the stipulation. Adam had one job. It wasn't even a, it wasn't even a positive command so much. It was a, a thing to avoid. He didn't say you have to carry out this thing. You have to make sacrifices every day. You don't have to... He gave him the garden to till and to work. Yes, he had to do that. But it was just something to avoid. He couldn't even avoid it. And that authority, God has to clear him, has to clear us, or the conviction stands. We are condemned. Unless we're cleared, the conviction stands. If the conviction stands, what would we say? That's justice. That's right. That is the part of the word righteousness. It is right. Payment must be made. Recompense must be made. Restitution has to be made. The one who is wronged. Who is the one who is wronged? Adam sinned against God. The one who is wronged has to be satisfied. It has to be, this wrong has to be answered for. It has to be propitiated. Number three is, man has no hope of regaining righteousness. I was telling Jeremy earlier today, I told Kyle earlier when I was talking about this topic, uh, it's going to sound like I'm trying to expound Romans. I'm not. Uh, that's way over my head. And I, I purposely tried to find other scriptures so I wouldn't be always in Romans. We're going to be in Romans a lot. Turn to Romans uh, chapter 3. And I'm going to read you quite a few scriptures just to uh, prove these, these uh, doctrines. Man has no hope of regaining righteousness. And I'll give you a hint toward, for the end. He don't want to regain his righteousness. Didn't work the first time. It's not good. Romans chapter 9, I mean in verse... Chapter 3, verse 9. We're going to read through, through verse 20. What then? Are the Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. 
No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable. There's the justice speak. Held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified. Notice that word in his sight. Since, the, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. When we were going through that list, does any of that sound like any, any hope? None seeks good. Nobody, they don't even care. We don't even care. We wouldn't even go after it if we realized it. That's how bad we are fallen. There's none righteous. None seeks reconciliation at all. It says you must be held accountable. That would be justified. You must be justified in His sight. Not in my sight. Not in your fellow man's sight. It's God we must answer to. Why? Because He is the authority. So, the second one. second heading is locate righteousness. How do we locate righteousness? If we're condemned... It is what we need. Where is it? Well, God Himself is the single, exclusive source of any good or righteousness. The gift of salvation we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved, and this is the gift. And this is not your doing. It is the gift of God. No man can regain righteousness himself, and no man can gift it to another man. So what is our hope? Only God can. Only the authority, only the judge can gift it. He can, if he's the source, he's the only one who can give it. God himself is infinite, complete, and perfect. And that is the same type of righteousness he has. Remember we talked about Adam's righteousness? Puny, little, weak, frail, no good. You say, well, Adam, Adam didn't do but one thing wrong. Well, he, he didn't do anything else either. He didn't do anything right. He, he, couldn't, gain, he couldn't build up an account. Uh, I'm, I'm reminded, forgive me for using your name, of uh, the Catholics who have the uh, treasury of merit. You know, they th we, can, we can buy this goodness. We can, we can accumulate. We can get somehow uh, righteousness. We can, we can dole it out. We'll sell it. No man can do that. God's righteousness is perfect. We need an eternal righteousness. We need an infinite supply, actually. If, it's gonna, if we're uh, eternal, created in God's image, and our soul will go on forever... We need a righteousness that's going to last. 
This is another description found in the Old Testament about God and His righteousness. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4. The rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is He. Another one from the Old Testament, Psalm 18, verse 30. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. This is our source of righteousness. Another Psalm, verse 40, I mean, Psalm 146, verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all His ways. And kind in all his works. True righteousness that God accepts, that will help us, that means anything as far as redemption, uh, justification, it can only come from God. So, would God show us where this righteousness is? Would God offer us? This righteousness. It's His. It's all His. He's the only source. We can't make righteousness. Only God makes righteousness. And I know I'm talking about it as if it's the thing you can put in a basket or something. It's not. It's, it's, it's God's. So how does God reveal righteousness? It's Jesus. He reveals righteousness in Jesus. And this is a very familiar passage, but uh, it's good to... To read it, Hebrews chapter 1. Let's turn there. It's another, a little lengthy passage. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. And this is God and His plan of redemption, providing righteousness for us, providing a person his son who is righteous, the priest who is good and righteous and unfailing and didn't come from a, a line of men who had to pay for their own, their own sins first. This is what he said about his son, about Christ himself. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. That sounds righteous, don't it? And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, 
Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Listen to this. The scepter of righteous of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, your God has anointed you with the oil of glad, gladness beyond your companions. And your Lord laid the foundations of the earth in the men, you Lord lay the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool? This is. God's righteous Son. This is our Savior. He has, because God gifted it to him, he is the embodiment. He has all the righteousness. Colossians 2.9 says, For in, in him, repeats what this just said, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. All of it. He is God. If he's God, he is righteous. He, he can deal out righteousness however he wants. And it's what we need. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, listen to this, this is way before anybody ever came up with a, a bundle or a package deal. Listen to this package. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Adam lost his righteousness to the penalty of God's justice. One crime, one punishment. Perfect justice. You, it don't get any better than that. Do the math. Only God offers righteousness to replace it. And only in Jesus. Again, let's do another Romans. Turn to Romans chapter 3. Read verses 21 through 25. This is one of the clearest New Testament scriptures describing God and uh, the right relationship of God and Christ and righteousness and how He has revealed it to us. How do we know what righteousness is? But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. That means it's been revealed. It's been uncovered. It's been shown apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's our condemnation. And are justified by His grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. This is God showing us where righteousness is. How did he reveal righteousness? He revealed righteousness in his son. Okay, we lost our righteousness. We're condemned. We found out where it's at, where the source of righteousness is. Okay, how do we get it? Well, we know that all man's efforts at finding or obtaining righteousness are failure. If we want to go back to Genesis, soon after the fall, soon after it happened, we, we see in chapter 4, Cain, we talked about this uh, yesterday, I think, or it might have been this morning, Cain brought an offering of fruit. There was no blood, and it was not brought in the prescribed way that God wanted. His heart, his heart was not right. He was prideful. That's not righteous. That's not the kind that was man's righteousness. I'll do it my way. Go up to Genesis chapter 11. We see the Tower of Babel. It was almost a disregard for God. We'll make a name for ourselves. We'll build this great temple, this great tower that reaches into heaven and make a name for ourselves. They pretty much disregarded God. Again, pride. Keep on going up through history. Any religion. Pick a religion. Let's go with Judaism. That was done man's way. Even that failed because they turned it into something that was turned inward. Instead of, instead of pointing to Christ, instead of thinking about God, all their, God says, I don't want your sacrifices. He says, you think I'm hungry? I got all the beasts of the field everywhere. If I was hungry and I had a body, I would... That's not the thing. I don't need sacrifices. I need, a, I need a changed heart. I need somebody that will repent and see their need. It failed. Let's turn to Romans chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 5 through 13. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down. See, they were looking to locate righteousness too. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. The secret is right in front of you. In your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches, His gifts, His righteousness on all who call on Him. For every who, 
for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We notice uh, the words in there again, justified in verse 10 and riches in verse 12. Riches includes righteousness. All man's work that he's so proud of that we do and we think, that's good. I've done something good. Not to God. God's got different standards. Point number two in the third category is righteousness comes through faith. We all know the, uh, we've went over it. I mean, I've really, really talked about it a lot in Galatians. Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God and it, what it? His faith was counted to him for righteousness. Now we're going to start talking about counted. We're going to talk about imputed. We're going to talk about uh, how God can declare things. It was counted to him for righteousness. Remember in Romans 1, Paul quoted, and in Galatians 2, as a matter of fact, he quoted uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. It says, The righteous shall live by his faith. It's not, it's not like God had to come up with something to help us. This was, this was the only solution ever. Let's just turn to Galatians chapter 3. I'll read this passage about the law and man's righteousness, uh, his attempt at righteousness through the law. Galatians 3.21, we'll read through verse 29. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness or a right standing, or acquittal, would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith. Notice the timeline until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. It's getting clearer and clearer. Justification by faith. Righteousness by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. His point is, works, any religion, anything that's done of our own doing, of our own heart, of our own contriving, will not work. It's faith in God. Well, faith in God how? Faith in God through His Son and what He done. 
what do we know about faith? Since uh, is it just a warm fuzzy feeling? Is it saying I've got I've got faith and then just walking away and forgetting about it? That's that's just as useless as as Adam's righteousness. That's a puny little worthless faith. Uh, faith is acting on the revealed will of God. Your actions won't be what saves you or justifies you or obtains righteousness for you, but trusting in what Christ has already done. What has He done? He fulfilled the law. He was the embodiment of righteousness. There was no sin in Him. Uh, Adam had that one sin. Jesus did not. Never has. His actions, His sacrifice, His obedience, His resurrection, His keeping of God's law. So, do we just sit back and do nothing? No. We act on the revealed will of God. We don't playground. You don't pray, pray for a hole and then lean on a shovel, do you? No. You do something. You, you act on your faith. You, you do this. You put your trust in what Jesus has done. Your trusting is your act of faith. You trust in what Christ has done, not your works. The third part of obtain righteousness is costly to Christ and free to us. He said uh, that uh, righteousness was counted to Abraham. We've seen courtroom, words, justice, justified, uh, condemnation. Now we're going to talk about uh, accounting words. Imputation. It was costly to Christ. Uh, this is not as weird as you might think, especially in Scripture. Uh, think of the story of the Good Samaritan. When the Samaritan took the man who had been robbed to the inn, he said, I'll pay for tonight. I'll pay for tomorrow night. He said, and guess what? If, you, if, you charge, if, if there's any other charge, I'll come back. I'll pay it. He was saying, you can impute his bill to me. We see this also in the little single chapter book, I mean, yeah, single chapter book of uh, Philemon. Uh, Paul's in prison. He met this slave, Onesimus. He wrote to, both of them were in jail because some infraction. Paul, Paul's was false. But the slave obviously had escaped or stolen something. He don't, we don't told, we're not told the details. But Paul saw his repentant heart. And he wrote a letter to Philemon. And he said, you need to receive him back. You need to accept this man. He's, he's repented. He's useful to me here in prison. He's a good slave. And he says, you know what? If he has wronged you or if there's any charges against him, if he's stolen anything, I'll repay that. He says, I'll, I'll take care of it. 
He said, impute his bill to me. Account his, his wrong to me. It's not as strange as it sounds. There's also substitution that we should talk about. Christ died our death. If not, he would not possess authority. There would be no way that he would have righteousness. We see in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one. There is only one righteous. Jesus, Jesus said that of himself. There is only one righteous. My, my, the righteous one, my servant, he will make many to be accounted righteousness. And he shall, be, and he shall bear their iniquities. There it is in the Old Testament. He says, they will be accounted righteousness. We hear, we read literature, especially songs, or people who are wrong in their doctrine will say that Christ's sacrifice made you innocent. It made you righteous. The truth is, you're not. Just because you say uh, somebody is that way does not mean it's that way. We don't have that authority. Uh, he did not make you innocent. If you think you're righteous, tomorrow when you're driving to work or when you're going somewhere and somebody pulls out in front of you, see how righteous you feel then. We still sin. We're not, we're not righteous. We're forgiven. But the thing is, God can impute Christ's goodness onto us. In Revelation, the white robes, they cover, they're a sign that there's righteousness there. There's this, this is the way God sees us. And you think it's, it's, not, it's not logical. Well, it is logical on God's, in God's justice. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. When Christ's righteousness is accounted, credited, imputed to us, God sees us as righteous. He sees us as righteous and perfect and holy as His Son is because of our faith because of our faith is in the work of Christ. A week or two ago, I think it was last week, we, uh, the, the topic was the son of righteousness in our, in our book. And uh, I really believe that we lean too heavily on the son uh, when we were talking about that. How, how the sun is a picture of righteousness or a picture of Christ. I think we should have emphasized more righteousness. The emphasis there, the picture is righteousness. Uh, we're talking about righteousness that is, picture the sun when it comes up in, the, in Malachi. The picture was after the day of the Lord, then the sun of righteousness will rise with righteousness. Yeah, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Picture the sunrise, and it just 
when it gets to a certain point, it floods over everything you can see. It's everywhere, as far as you can see. It covers everything. That's what he's talking about when he says, the son of righteousness. This righteousness is spectacular. All the positive benefits of the son as far as, far as far-reaching and spreading out. That's what the son of righteousness. I wish I had known it then. If you think about imputation, somebody who's condemned, somebody who don't have any hope, there's an authority figure. Think about it. Jesus covered all of this in Luke 15 when he told the story of the loving father. There was authority, the father. There was loss. The boy squandered everything. There was debt. He didn't even have enough money to buy food. He was shamed. There was repentance. There was condescension. The father who would not run, uh, a man in his position wouldn't run. He wouldn't, he wouldn't grab a man that had been in a pig pen. He did. He ran and grabbed his son. And he said, take that robe and put on him. Put the ring on his finger. He's still just as, he's the same son. He's saying, I'm seeing him as restored. Jesus taught us this in that parable. For God, it's not strange. It's not dif different. It's not even new. It's not difficult. We are created by God, and we live in his world. He alone is the authority. He is absolute sovereign, and he can impute sin. That's our sin. It's double imputation. Our sin is laid on Christ, and all of Christ's righteousness is put to our account. He has the authority to do that. If we talk about Bitcoin, or we talk about our checking account, not many people write actual checks anymore. That's not money. That's, that represents your money. People get that and they say, okay, he's got credit. He's got, he's got that there. He's got what, what needs to be covered. But this, what we're talking about, the imputation, it's not virtual. It's not mystical. It's real. The sin we commit, the sin that Adam got us into, is real. So the penalty must be real. And since it's God's standard that has been violated, He alone can pronounce that the law is satisfied. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28, we read that God can. He uses things that are so to confound the things that are not so. And the other way around, things that are not. And that's why the Bible's laid out in the form of, in the beginning God created. If we can't believe that God created everything out of nothing, one instant there was nothing. What do you think of when you think of nothing? You can't even, you can't even think of nothing. What do you think of? Just black empty space? Well, that's black empty space. That's not nothing. There was nothing. 
the next instant, there was her. That's ex nihilo. If he can do that, then he can declare this person righteous. He can declare, yes, I accept that sacrifice. He has that authority. Since all humanity, this is a conclusion. Since all humanity has fallen in sin and condemned, no act, piety, or recompense done by him, people, can influence his condition. It only accentuates it. Any and all actual righteousness that God accepts is only imputed to men by faith in Jesus. Jesus' work of redemption is finished, complete and perfect. We're condemned by God justly. We need righteousness. We need some form of goodness. We need something to gain our favor. God cannot look on sin. Our only source is Christ. He's the only, the only offer we have. And it's a perfect plan. It's absolutely perfect. If there, if there were no gospel and it were not laid out, if it, the gospel was any other way, it wouldn't work. You have to either deny God, you have to deny sin, you have to deny justice. Somehow, this is the only way that will work. I know I've read to you a lot, but I have this book, and some of y'all might have it. Maybe, maybe you've read it. And I want to read a passage from this book, Imputed Righteousness. Uh, it's almost half a page. It's not all that long. And it may be the best thing John Gill ever wrote. I don't know. It's very, very good. If you can get this book, they'll send it to you free. Great. This is the name whereby he shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. Because he is the author of righteousness to his people and is only so. No creature could be the author of it. Unrighteous man cannot be the author of righteousness. And the righteousness of an angel is of no advantage to man. Indeed, neither of the other divine persons of the Lord is the Lord our righteousness. For though they are both Jehovah, the Father in spirit, yet not our righteousness. The Father appointed and sent Christ to work it out. He approved and accepted it when wrought out and imputes it to his people. But he is not the author of it. So the Spirit convinces of the need of it. Reveals it, brings it near, works faith to receive it, applies it, and pronounces a person justified by it. But he is not the author of it. The Son of God is the only one who has become so by his obedience to the law and by bearing the penalty of it. And who, having been delivered for our defenses, rose again for our justification. And this righteousness, which he has wrought out to the satisfaction of law and justice 
becomes ours. It being signed for us and wrought out for us by a free gift of it is given to us. Ours through the imputation of it to us by the Father in virtue of our union to Christ and interest in Him and through the application of it to us by the Spirit of God who puts it upon us, clothes us with it, and enables us to lay hold upon it and claim interest in it and which, but, and, and which may be meant by Christ being called our righteousness. For the meaning is not that He should commonly go by this name, but only that he should be that unto us, which it signifies, and that we should by faith, even every true Israelite, every believer, call him our righteousness. Say that we have righteousness in him. Make mention of that continually and express our desires to be found alone in it. For so the words may be rendered and this is the name whereby he shall call him, the Lord our righteousness. And a sweet name to a sensible sinner it is, to one that has felt the guilt of sin in his conscience, seen his need of a righteousness and the worth of it. Christ is all our righteousness. He worked it out. It's the only place. He is our only hope. This is a, a super giant subject. Maybe we can come back to it sometime. Let's pray.